Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we love spooky stuff. And we also understand the difference between legal results and social and cultural results. Um, I am Lauren Humphreys Brooks. With me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Hello. How are you doing today? Before we get into all the nitty gritty stuff. I'm doing great. It's uh, It's been a week. I got off a plane and climbed into bed because I was sick all week and it's been really fun, but it's not COVID. Yay! (laughs) There was a brief moment where I thought it might be and I was really mad because I'm just outside of my two months window and I'm like (laughs) getting my booster really soon because of that. I've been waiting for that and I thought, oh crap, are you kidding me? I got COVID again already. I did not. (laughs) Yeah, I, I got my booster a little early post my infection, partially because mine was very mild and also because I was traveling. So I was like, I'm going to get boosted before I travel and mm-hmm. just like, you know, have that level of protection, whatever. But yeah, it, it was when this was like, I'm going to be so mad if I don't get boosted <laughs> and then I get COVID again. I'm going to be like, fuck you, COVID. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, there are other things going around still, so... Yes, there's still colds and flus and all of those lovely yeah. things, and, and tis the season after all for it. And I mean, I spent four days being awake for, you know, 18 to 20 hours at a time. <laughs> and when you don't sleep, and then you're also around, you know, icky people carrying bugs, it makes it much easier to contract stuff. Film, I mean, film festivals, you're at a film festival, which we're going to talk was, about, yeah. which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. That's why we didn't um, record last week. But uh, but film festivals are notorious for people getting really sick. Like, like people talk about Sundance all the time, like the, the combination of high altitude and the time of year and and just gross people in close proximity to each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Feeling only... disgusting. They are. They are. Yeah. The only time it's so so weird, so strange. But the only time I've gone to Sundance and not come back sick was uh, January 2020. When COVID like that should have been a super <laughs> spreader. That should have been when COVID hit America, you know, was that event. And I not only didn't get COVID because we didn't have it really out in the wild here yet. But um, I also didn't get a flu or anything that year. And I usually do every year. So like I remember a couple years ago, there was one time I was walking up these really steep steps. They were like ski steps going up to one of the slopes. I was going to a resort to do an interview and, um, and it's outside. It's freezing cold. I mean, it's like, you know, 18 degrees which is freezing um and i i felt it the moment my lungs were like nope you're gonna get sick now it was it was so it was so weird and within 24 hours i was like dying (laughs) so (laughs) you're 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 like nope fuck you and fuck this like (laughs) yep (laughs) 
Well, <sighs> you sound you you sound like you're doing all right, so we're glad about that. But we're gonna Thanks, have yeah. we're gonna talk about some fun things today. But first, I guess we're gonna talk about some not so fun things. Um, Yeah. I I want to start briefly because I don't think there's tons to say about this, but let's start briefly with the the Kevin Spacey results of as you pointed out before we start recording of the civil trial. This is not a criminal trial. Right. The criminal Um, charges are still pending in London. Yeah, like he's he's still facing other accusers. So this was the civil trial involving Anthony Rapp, who um, several years ago came out to to talk about Spacey assaulting him, essentially, um, when he was a teenager, when he was 14 years old. Yeah, he was the one that opened the floodgates on Kevin Spacey. Yeah. And uh, and in the results of the civil trial was essentially that Spacey was found there, there was found not to be enough evidence to um to find to find Spacey guilty of uh, of assault. And I, I believe he was brought up on battery charges and a few things that like this has been weirdly reported on and people have been talking about, oh, he's been acquitted. He's you know, he didn't do it, all of that kind of thing, um, which, of course, we get a lot when these when these kinds of things happen. A um, few things to to note is that there were certain charges that rap could not bring because the statute of limitations had expired. Um, so some of the more serious charges, including things like sexual assault, uh, was just something that he could not bring. In. And again, this was a civil trial. Um, so that's something to note as we go forward with this. This is a victory for Spacey in in a lot of ways. And it certainly like kind of builds up his image again. Um, but we also, I think, as we've talked about a number of times on this podcast, we need to note the difference between legal results and and more of the the cultural and social ones. There are certain things that have to be proved in a court of law um, right. in order for someone to be found guilty on charges, et cetera, uh, both in civil and criminal trials. Yeah. Well, and, and in addition to that, one of the things that I kept seeing yesterday or whatever day it was that the verdict came out. People were saying, and this was partly the fault of The Hollywood Reporter, because that was the article that was mostly going around that was sharing this incorrect information. But they were saying that the jury found that Kevin Spacey did not assault Anthony Rapp. That's not what happened, and that's not what a civil jury does. That's not their responsibility. Their responsibility is to weigh the evidence and decide if there's enough that the person being sued in this case, Kevin Spacey is being sued, um, likely, like, if there's enough evidence that they did do the thing that they're being sued for. And in this case, what the jury found was that there's not enough evidence to say yes or no. And so in that case, they have to side with the defendant, um, not the plaintiff. And so they're not saying, hey, this didn't happen. They're just saying, hey, we don't know if it happened. And because of that, we can't give Anthony Rapp $40 million. Yeah, and this is something to to really pay attention to. And I and one of the things that I was thinking about when you you were saying about the the Hollywood Reporter article, there there is a lot of so like I I even I'm we're going to link the CNN article that I think goes into more of the legal issues a little bit more than than a number like the differences between what what must be proven in a court of law versus what uh, what may have actually happened or what we think happened or what someone claims has happened. Um, and as we've talked about before, you know, sexual sexual assault generally um, is difficult to prove, right? Mm-hmm. And particularly when you're talking about, you're not talking about, as it were, quote, straightforward rape. You're talking about, um, you know, touching someone. You're talking about uh, grabbing someone in a way that they don't like, et cetera, et cetera. So 
proving that, you know, how do you prove that you don't, especially for a case that has been this long, right? Yeah. Um, this is not like, you know, an immediate aftermath of anything. And so we, and we've talked about that before, but the the other thing is that a lot of the media reporting on this, especially within film and television media, is people are writing about it who are not legal experts, who don't aren't court reporters, who do not completely understand the way that um, that the courts actually work. Like I don't understand the way that the courts actually work. I I understand a little bit more the more that I read. But if I were to, if I were asked to, you know, write up a news piece about this, I wouldn't necessarily use the correct language. And I think that that's a problem, particularly when we're talking about Me Too uh, within Hollywood, is that we're talking about the overlap between media and um, and the, the legal world. And there's a lot of misinformation that gets going as a result of that. So we really need to be aware of that, particularly when we're looking at places like The Hollywood Reporter or Variety, or some of the bigger kind of trade publications and media publications, they're not necessarily, they don't necessarily know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I think that that's something to know. So Spacey still has all kinds of other issues uh, that he is being brought up on. So this is not the end of the road in any sense for him. Um, but we definitely need to note that this does not mean he is not guilty. Right. And I can almost guarantee that this does mean that he's going to be guilty of giving us another Christmas video. Christ. Um, and we do, I think that we should end by, by kind of giving raps words that what he said on Friday in a statement released on Twitter was that this was part of, uh, this was about shining a light as part of a larger movement to stand up against all forms of sexual violence. Um, I pledge to keep on advocating for efforts to ensure that we can live and work in a world that is free from sexual violence of any kind. I sincerely hope that survivors continue to tell their stories and fight for accountability. And I think that that's a good kind of place to end on this. So yeah. Fuck you, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Moving to another thing that, you know, again, when we talk about the legal issues uh, in, wrapped up in Me Too versus the realities of Me Too. Um, let's talk a little bit about Bill Murray. Mm -hmm. uh, Bill Murray, who has been in all kinds of various, various trouble uh recently this got this kind of got kicked off again um if we remember a couple months ago murray was actually suspended from from a film from an aziz ansari film being mortal um as a result of a complaint by a, a woman on the film set who said that he straddled her and kissed her um and he claims that he was playing around that he was making a joke etc and she said you know you assaulted me um, and he did pay $100,000 to settle a complaint from her. So just just to note that. Uh, yeah. But I, this this sort of got kicked off again because um, Gina Davis has has released a, a memoir. And one of the things that was brought up was the fact that Murray had actually harassed her when they worked together on um, the film Quick Change in 1990. And... You know, and and I'm going to link the article from from Pajiba that kind of details all of this. But this resulted in a clip from the David, I think it was the David Letterman show, being passed around, uh, in which Murray is like feeling her up basically on screen, and everyone's treating this as like, oh, this is a joke, etc. And if you look at Gina Davis, she is not comfortable. This is not like, oh, haha, Bill. Um, this is not something that they've arranged together. She looks uncomfortable. She looks like she's not enjoying herself. This is not funny to her. 
Um, and he go- he's going farther and farther, touching her shoulders, lowering one of the straps of her dress, etc. cetera. Uh, and it's really disturbing then to, to look back at some of the things, some of the things that have been alleged about Murray um, and how he has kind of wrapped himself up in this mythos of like this gesture, this, this, um, uh, this guy who, you know, he, he, he does these major things as a joke. You know, we talk about him showing up at parties, uh, screenings that he hasn't been invited to all of this stuff that he's kind of created this persona of himself as being this, you know, kind of indie darling image that is very idiosyncratic and just pops up in places just like, Oh my God, it's Bill Murray. Isn't that funny? Um, I even remember when I was in college and at St. Andrews, he was at um, he was at a celebrity golf tournament there. And there's this whole story about how he showed up at a party and bought everybody drinks um, that he was just <laughs> so it, it was this attitude of like, um, you know, oh, he's he's just running around. And then you're kind of like, why is this, you know, 50, 60 year old man at a party for undergrads? Yeah, well, there was also like. A story. I don't know if this was ever actually true, but there was supposedly a phone number that he had set up where you could call and invite him to your stuff like weddings and parties and stuff like that. And if he was around, he would show up. And and that seems all very charming and almost like, you know, oh, isn't this cute? Isn't this funny? But mm-hmm. there's that others it it has, and I think the the Pajiba article makes a very good argument about it. it has kind of obscured some of the other things that have been said about him, and yeah. he has been accused of of violence, of abuse against his uh, his ex wife. Um, he has been accused of abuse on set. He like has he created problems with many many friends, uh, including people like Harold Ramis, who just like no longer would associate with him. Because he would be volatile, he would be violent on set. He would scream at people. There's a story that Seth Green tells about him picking picking Seth Green up, and Seth Green is a child at this point, and putting him in a trash can. Um, and all of this has kind of been laughed off in a certain sense of like, oh, isn't he funny? But now we're kind of looking at it through a different lens, particularly as a result of this more recent allegations of Gina Davis's memoir, and, and are beginning to be like. Was this funny? Was this really, you know, how much of this is a dodge? How much of this is really like, this is an abusive person? Yeah. Well, and in that Pajiba article, it even says that Dan Aykroyd had called him the the Murray Kane because he was so volatile. It was like, you know, it was like a big storm. Um, you never knew which way he was going and, and how bad it was going to be, which that is very telling. And, you know, it's interesting because I mean, I've heard stories about Bill Murray for years and years and years, like going back to probably, I mean, I was too young to hear those stories in the 80s, but definitely in the 90s, I would hear stuff about him. And it's interesting because there were also a lot of stories about Chevy Chase, who is basically persona non grata. Like Chevy Chase has been kind of bounced out. He's not going to be part of the community reunion. He's not going to, you know, he's like nowhere to be found these days, practically. Uh, whereas Bill Murray has continued to work, and I think a lot of it is because of this persona that he has cultivated as being this like lovable old grump, you know, which is something that has always been part of his his uh, character. Yeah. Every character he's played has been this curmudgeon um, that you know, like in in Groundhog Day, it's about beating him into submission in a way, you know. But mm-hmm. 
you know, in Ghostbusters, that's his whole shtick. You know, it's this this grumpy guy that you just you just like. And but it's interesting because I think for so long and this was kind of the same thing with Harvey Weinstein. And I'm not saying Bill Murray is on the level of Harvey Weinstein. Not too many people are. But um but the thing is, like, going back, you know, as much as 25, 30 years ago, I was hearing stories about these guys, about them being just these, like, you know, pretty volatile, terrible people. And because nothing ever happened, I just kind of, like, pushed it off. Because, of course, if they were this bad and this abusive, somebody would do something about it, right? Like, I just took that for granted for so long. And now I'm realizing, you know, well, I mean, over the last five to six years, I've really seen how untrue that really was and how really so much of this is way worse than we ever thought. Well, and so much of it really does come off as like, you know, even even if some of the worst allegations that have been that have been said about him aren't true, right? Or or are right. overblown. Just the bullying, the meanness, yeah. right? The the willingness to, you know, pick up a child and put him in a trash can um and and so have that laughed off and i i think that a lot of it reminds me of the way that just you know people beyond someone like bill murray but men of a certain type get away with certain things mm -hmm. they get away with being bullies basically because oh they're funny you know oh it's a joke um you know oh he's he's not serious he's just being bill right yeah. And, and you hear that a lot about particularly men and particularly that kind of abusive men where you you sort of you laugh off or you're or, you know, if you're the victim, you're told to laugh off. Bad behavior, mm -hmm. behavior that crosses a line, right, because there's a difference between making a stupid joke that doesn't land and physically assaulting someone. There's and there's a difference also between making a stupid joke that doesn't land and then you apologize for it because, hey, I'm really sorry. I didn't I didn't mean it that way, et cetera. And just not caring and being like, oh, we're going to run people down. We're going to treat people badly. And it's funny. Right. Um, and and, you know, you see that, I think, at a lot of a lot of Murray's persona, because, yeah, he I, I, I think he has definitely wrapped himself up in this myth that um you know he's he's this like you say he's this charming curmudgeon. He, you know, he's this sarcastic guy. You can't you can't hold him responsible for anything. It's just like I think that we should, and mm -hmm. and this is the problem that runs throughout particularly comedy. This this type of behavior, um, more so even uh, I think in a lot of ways than with dramatic actors, but particularly with comedy when we're just so willing because someone is a beloved comedian to um, kind of ignore or dismiss or not pay attention to the much more disturbing elements of their persona yeah so we will uh link that entire pajiba article it's a re it's really good it breaks down kind of the like all of the various things that have been said about murray over the years and um and you know kind of where we're at with this and i, I think that this is one of the things that we often ignore when we talk about me too is that me too is not just about you know legal issues because if we as we've discussed the the legality and proving things in a court of law can be very different from the way that we treat people at a social and a cultural level. Um, mm -hmm. You know, can't, Gina Davis is not going to be able to bring Bill Murray up on charges, right? Right. Um, well, and also, in addition to it not being just about legal issues, Me Too is also not only about sexual assault. Yeah. It's, it's all kinds of levels of assault and abuse. It's about curbing this kind of bad behavior and saying that yeah. this is not okay, this is not acceptable, um 
you know, this, this is not, and, and, and also giving audiences, uh, employers, et cetera, a choice about who are you going to continue to support? Who are you going right. to continue to pay to be in your work, et cetera. So it's an important issue to actually talk about. And this is part of, you know, the, the goal is ultimately to, for us to move past this kind of thing as a society. <laughs> yeah. It's not necessarily to punish every single person. It's to be like, we're not going to accept this anymore. Right. That's the thing. It's like, is anything going to happen to Bill Murray as a result of this? Probably not. I mean, he's been winding down how much work he takes on. He is in his 70s now. And 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 I mean, I'm not saying that he should continue to work. Maybe it's time to retire. But uh, there's lots of people, too, where these stories are coming out now. And it's not about necessarily. And this is why I say it's not just about sexual assault. Um, it's about the bad behavior. And so the more that these stories come out, the more it's like, okay, this is not acceptable. We're not going to let you come onto a movie set and treat people like this. If you want to continue to work, stop being a dick. Yep. Let's just stop being a dick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's move on from that. And Karen, do you want to talk a little bit about your Middleburg experience? You were at the Middleburg Film Festival last week and you saw a lot of interesting films. So do you, do you have anything you want to say about that? Oh my gosh, so much. Yeah, I had a great time. So um, first of all, I did do a write-up after the festival was over of just kind of like, here's what happened and here's here's what went down. Um, so if you want to read that, you can go to our website. But um, some things that just to highlight and other things that I didn't necessarily put into the piece. Um, so I, well, first of all, I was supposed to get there. My, my, it was a direct flight from LA. I was supposed to land at four. Opening night movie is at 730. So I had plenty of time because the resort where everything was happening is like 40 minutes from the airport. And I was driving to the airport because I parked my car out there. And uh, as I was driving along, I get an update that my flight was delayed three and a half hours. And I was just like, oh, for Christ's sake, what the hell? What, what the hell? And um, so I was traveling with Jazz Tanke, who's our friend um, who works at Variety. And she messages or she calls me and she's like, I'm going to try to get on an earlier flight. And I'm like, OK, well, if you find an earlier flight, let me know because I'll try to switch too. And, um, but I'm like, I'm still going to go to the airport because a three delay, three hour delay is like inconvenient, but not worth with the traffic around the airport. It's not worth going home and going back out. So I'm almost to the airport and I get another update that, oh no, it's not leaving at 12. It's leaving at two 30 now. So it was a six hour delay, which I would have gone back home for had I known. <laughs> so Anyway, I could not get on an earlier flight, so I missed the opening day, which was bummer. So that happened. And I didn't end up getting into Middleburg until like 10, 30, 11 o'clock um, that night. But so I started off the festival exhausted because I'd been up since four o'clock in the morning. Right. And now it's like not only I mean, now and then it's like then you travel. So it's like I was really up at you know, 1 a.m. East Coast time. I don't know. It was like I just was awake the entire day. 24 hours or something. Anyway, so Friday morning, 
bright and early. Like it started off so early and I went to a conversation with Gina Prince Bythewood and she was there not just to talk about the woman King, which they were doing a special screening of it that weekend. Um, but also it was just like over her whole body of work and she is so fun to listen to and she just has great stories and just listening to the way her mind works and the way she talks about the process of, of, um, directing and also very frustrating to listen to her talk about how she did love in basketball and thought, okay, cool. This is open doors for me. And then it still was crickets getting her second movie made. You know, it's like she still was struggling. And then she actually talked a little bit about um, what happened with Black Cat and Silver Sable. I think that's the one. Um, she was in development on that for a year and a half for uh, for uh, Sony and Marvel. And it ended up not going forward. And but she was talking about how, like, even though that didn't happen and it was disappointing, um, just the experience of getting to work in that development process was really, um, really interesting to her. And it gave her a lot of challenges that actually, in a way, helped prepare her to do films like The Old Guard and The Woman King, which are these big action movies and so it was just interesting because then and then she also was just like you know i'm tired of people saying that women uh don't want to or can't direct action movies look at me i've just done two of them back to back and i love doing them so yeah she was great i really i really enjoyed her and they had a luncheon later that day a women's luncheon and so i got to actually talk to her at that for a little bit and she is just so just so awesome and very very tall i felt very tiny next to her um but um but yeah really fun i also went to a conversation with ryan johnson and bob Ducey, who is his editor um they've worked together on um they started on looper and then they did the last jedi and then both of the knives out movies and afterwards i got to talk to ryan johnson and i didn't I didn't end up doing an interview with him, but we just got to have just a fun little chat. And he is just so, just so personable too. like, just really, you know, it's so funny because I always like worry about saying people are really nice or whatever, because then stories are going to come out about them. But he was really nice. <laughs> yeah. Be careful. I recall someone that you were like, oh, he was so charming and he was so nice. And then. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I got him message a day or two ago from someone who's re-listening to our old episodes oh and thought it was pretty hilarious how into a certain actor um <laughs> one of our former co-hosts used to be yeah yeah and, and you know we have talked about that but it's it's like if you i mean if you go back and listen to some of those so those we didn't know we didn't know yeah, and he was exactly. really convincing and charming and like and has played yeah. some good parts etc so we, I we will say his eyes that. were kind of dead a little bit, though. But anyway, <laughs> Ryan Johnson did not have you that didn't problem. Know. I didn't know. I did not know. I really didn't. <laughs> but Ryan Johnson, if he turns out to be a bad person, I'm going to be shocked because he was so warm and so just like funny. And um, yeah. And his wife was there, too. I didn't really talk to her, but um, apparently she was around and and uh, having a good time, too. But um, anyway, yeah, so that was really fun. And he and I got to like have a little chat about Brick. So that was cool because I, I love that movie. It was his oh, first yeah. film. I saw it at Sundance in like 2005 or whatever. So it was just cool. 
Um, and yeah, so then there was the the women's luncheon was just like one of the problems that I have in this industry is imposter syndrome. It is real. It is bad. And you go to something like this event, which is very exclusive. None of the men are allowed to come. And and not even all the women that are at Middleburg get invited to this either. It's it's I don't I honestly don't know why they included me, but I'm so glad that they did. But I'm like sitting at a table with three wives of ambassadors and uh, like a lady who works for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and this other lady who works for the Virginia State Department of Film and TV and stuff. And it's like over at that table is the librarian of Congress. And, you know, it's just like, how am I here? This is this is amazing and crazy. And um, and yeah, it was it was really fun. And um, there were some other people I got to meet. Jazz and I ran into Stephanie Sue from Everything Everywhere All at Once in the restroom because, you know, that's a great place <laughs> to run into people is washing your hands at the mirror in the sink. <laughs> so um, she was just delightful. And Dolly DeLeon, who is in Triangle of Sadness, she is by far the standout in Triangle of Sadness. And um, <laughs> I got to see her and Gina Prince Bythewood talking and gina is like over six feet tall and dolly is like under five feet tall <laughs> so it was just <laughs> such a fun visual but i was like oh my gosh those two need to work together and i also decided that dolly delio needs to be in the next knives out movie um i know it's not written yet and i know that glass onion hasn't even come out yet but i don't care put dolly delio in the movie anyway <laughs> but i also saw movies i was gonna say was so, so what, what movies did you see do you have, <laughs> you have recommendations for things oh my gosh definitely watch out for well so we're talking about the me too movement there i bookended my weekend with she said which is specifically about megan tui and jody cantor um it's directed by maria schrader who did um i'm your man last year which i really liked that movie a lot um and this one is stars uh, Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan as Megan and Jody. And I didn't think it was as polished as I was kind of hoping for, but I think they did a really, really good job of laying out all the work. It wasn't about like making the case against Weinstein. Megan and, and Jody were the two that wrote the New York Times article that unleashed the floodgates on um the harvey weinstein story and then of course ronan farrow's article hit a few days later in the new yorker i think um but yeah tui and Cantor, they're the ones that really um got that going and so this is this is the story of everything that led up to this this article coming out and so it does a good job of laying out not the not rehashing the case against Weinstein, but showing the work that went into bringing it forward and how fraught that was, how difficult it was to get these women to be willing to speak up and um, and just the emotional toll that it took on them also to hear these stories and for, you know, at certain points, not even being sure if they were going to be able to do anything with it. And um, so it's it's a good movie. It's really, really well done. Um, I highly encourage people to to watch it when it comes out. And then so that was the first film I saw. And then the last film I saw 
was Women Talking, which is Sarah Polly's yeah. new movie. And oh my gosh, that was just an incredible, incredible film. Uh, it is based on it's well, it's inspired by a true story uh, of these women. This was in about 2010, 2011, something like that um, in a Mennonite community down in South America. I think it was Argentina um, who had been routinely assaulted by the men in the colony for a long time, like years. And eventually the men were caught and arrested and then the women had to make a decision. So this movie is about these women trying to decide, are we going to stay? Are we going going to go? If we stay, what are we staying for? What are we fighting for? And if we go, what's going to happen to us? And so much of it takes place just in a single location in this barn where these women are having this conversation. But it really is such an incredible film. And, um, you know, it's it's amazing to see how a situation like that in a setting like that can feel so cinematic. You know, people complain sometimes about movies feeling too much like it's a stage play. This didn't feel that way at all. It felt like, no, this is, this is a great film and the performances are incredible. The writing is just gorgeous. And, um, and you really feel the weight of this decision. It doesn't, uh, it really doesn't, judge the community it doesn't judge their lifestyle it's really about these women and this really difficult decision they have to make and um ben wishaw's in the movie too he's the only man who you ever actually see his face that's one of the great things about it is you never see the violence being inflicted you see the aftermath um but you never actually see women being being assaulted being hurt um ben wishaw he plays like the one guy who didn't get arrested. He's, he's innocent and he's acting as their recorder. They want, they want minutes of this conversation. And he has a scene that I was like, this jerk, there's so many great performances in this movie. And he's the one that's going to end up getting an Oscar nomination because it's so easy (laughs) for him to stand out because he's the only man in it. And also his scene is so incredible. So yeah, it's it's a really it's a really good film. Yeah. And I yeah, I just oh man. Like I just get chills thinking about it. And um yeah, it's it's really I can't wait for you to see it. That, I mean, th- that's one that I've been looking forward to, yeah, because I've I've heard some very good things about it. Unfortunately, way too many men have weighed in with their opinions on it. Many uh-huh. of the positive, but I'm I'm sort of like, can you shut up? Can yeah, like not- let's just yeah it's time for women to talk (laughs) yeah your opinion does not count it's a literally a movie directed by a woman called women talking your Mm -hmm. opinion is not needed here um yeah that's just like my immediate reaction but um in terms of the weinstein film i i think that it's a it's good you know thinking about all of the things that have you know happened around me too and around weinstein etc it's good that there's actually going to be more cinematic records of this because this kind of thing does tend to get forgotten or it tends to get you know like well this is how it actually happened this is how but but for years you know like even you think about first exposure to things like the watergate um cases Mm -hmm. uh and stuff like that is very often through cinema and it might not necessarily be 100 accurate but that's how people kind of remember 
certain things. And so it's good that there are like films being made that deal directly with this and that they're good films too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, and, and a couple of people have been complaining that like, oh, it's just so early. It's only been five years or whatever. It's like, okay, when did All the President's Men come out? When did Spotlight come out in connection to the the end of the sex abuse scandal in the Catholic Church? You know, it's like, no, this needs to happen pretty early on, like you say, because we need we need this on the record. We need this on the cultural record. And our culture record so often is through film. And yeah, it's uh, it's great. So that was that was the beginning and ending of my festival experience. And I saw some good stuff in between. I saw some not good stuff. Um, we'll just focus on the positive today. Um, I loved Glass Onion. It was so much fun. It's very different from Knives Out. And um, but that's a good thing. You know, it just it it's completely it's a completely different mood. It's a different texture. It's a different tone. Everything about it is is just different. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Janelle Monet is absolutely the standout in that. But there are so many great cameos. Um, uh, Daniel Craig is just perfect as Benoit Blanc. And you actually get to know a little bit more about him. But also the movie isn't all about him. So it's like just little, just little sprinkles, little nuggets about more about him and his life but um but yeah and and it's also just a really fun mystery so um so i enjoyed that and then i also on saturday i really enjoyed um the sun which is by florian zeller who did the father a couple years ago um this one is hugh grant no sorry hugh jackman um hugh jackman plays a father who's son is dealing with severe mental illness and Laura Dern plays his ex-wife, the mother of his son. And then Vanessa Kirby is the young new wife and they just have a new baby. And, um, it's a really, it's a really difficult film to watch, but I think it is just, it's so good. It's such, I think what makes it so good is that, um, it really does, uh, do a good job of Hugh Jackman in particular, is really good at showing how difficult it can be to um to to be on the outside of someone's mental health experience but also be kind of on this journey where you're the person that's supposed to help them and you don't know what to do and i think he just does it so well i think it's one of his best performances and um the movie is really uh it's difficult it's not a fun movie it was interesting it was also very divisive i think it was probably the most divisive movie i saw i came out of it going like man that was so good and i hopped into a shuttle to go to another movie and two people hopped in the shuttle with me and they were like that is the worst movie of the festival and i was just like wow i thought it was the best movie i've seen so far and they were like oh man you're must you must be having a terrible time here and i'm like no so it was it was interesting um the different reactions and i think it's going to continue to be a divisive movie but uh, i thought it was great and then i went from i had a one-two punch that day of just emotional beatdown because i went from the sun to the movie that actually ended up being my favorite of the festival and that is the banshees of inna sharon which is martin mcdonough's new movie it stars uh-huh. colin farrell and brendan gleason and Barry Keegan. And it 
Oh my gosh. I, I just don't even want to say too much about this movie. I think people just need to experience it, but um, it's in a nutshell, it's uh, Brandon Gleason and Colin Farrell. They're lifelong best friends. They live on a small Island off the coast of mainland Ireland. And um, one day Brandon Gleason just doesn't want to be friends anymore. No reason. Just doesn't want to be friends anymore. And it, you know, across the the channel on the mainland is the Irish Civil War in 1922-23. And so the movie is such a, um, is such an intimate, like, metaphor for the Civil War that's going on and the way that that divided Ireland. And that's exactly what's happening here. And it just starts off with this little like, eh, I don't want to be friends anymore. I'm mad at you. And it just escalates and it ends up, you know, enveloping this entire community, these two guys. And it's just, it's so well done. So well done. Colin Farrell's best performance ever. Maybe Brendan Gleeson's too. I don't know, but um, just really, really good. And um, very funny, but also just very sad at times too. And absolutely stunning um location like it's just so green and beautiful and it's like i just want to i want to go to this island it's so gorgeous so uh yeah so that's kind of um that's that's the best stuff i saw at uh at middlebrook this well, year that sounds great that sounds great yeah. you saw a lot of really good stuff i i am all of the ones that you're talking about i'm looking forward to seeing so except except for the sun the sun i admit i'm like mm, okay whatever like I, I will probably see it at some point but the others i'm very very excited about yeah um, so it sounds awesome well thank you so much karen and yeah you've got you've got several reviews and a couple of things up on our website about that and and more um, coming i'm still okay. working on getting my reviews out so all right so yeah. so there will be more on uh citizen day uh uh well let's let's kind of you know talk about our our halloween movie experiences right now yeah. Um, we did actually get a question uh, that I just spotted on Twitter from Noah uh, asking, what is our favorite animated spooky movie? Oh. And I think that that's a good one because we want to talk a little bit about, you know, like the, the films that we tend to rewatch around this time of year. And I admit that I have not actually rewatched this movie in a long time, but I rewatched parts of it <laughs> because <laughs> I love parts of it. And that's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm -hmm. of course it is an open question is this a christmas movie or is this a halloween movie? <laughs> it's both it can it be is both. both it's totally um, both i personally am not one of those people that like loves horror movies around christmas um so i tend to be more towards it's it's a halloween movie partially because the the opening number is you know probably one of them one of the more iconic halloween songs as far as i'm concerned and so even though i haven't um rewatched the film itself in quite a while I love that opening sequence. The it, it really is um, in terms of Tim Burton's concepts. It's Tim Burton and his finest. Um, and I'm trying to remember the action. We have to remember Tim Burton did not actually direct The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, Henry Selick. <laughs> there we go. Henry Selick. Um, Selick. Selick. Sorry. And uh, it's it's just it's such a fun movie. It is so creepy. I remember um, Oogie Boogie scaring the hell out of me when I was a kid, <laughs> um, just because it was very, very gross. First of all, kidnapping Santa Claus. Second of all, like he's made of maggots and and all of that. <laughs> but he's again another great song um, that I enjoy listening to many times over. 
So yeah, I think that that's probably my favorite spooky animated film. I would like to to ask like our listeners and people who follow us, et cetera, give give us some more recommendations because I would love some like more adult animation um, for like scary movies. And I know one of the ones that's been recommended has been Perfect Blue, but I know that that involves sexual assault and I'm not 100% certain if I want to go in that direction for scariness. Um, but, but like any the, animation has an interest, occupies an interesting place for creating scariness because they, they kind of have any, they can do pretty much anything they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to see more sort of spooky animated films. So if there are other recommendations, I, I want to hear them. What about you, Karen? Do you have a favorite spooky animated um, movie? Well, I, I do really love The Corpse Bride and Frankenweenie, but I think my favorite is probably Coraline. I oh, that's love a good one. Coraline so much. And it's it's one of those where it's like, you know, it's that whole your perfect ideal dream world um turns out to be a big nightmare i i just i think it's so great it's such a good story and i just i i think the animation in that movie is just so beautiful so yeah orally that's that's a very good one i also like um i haven't watched it as much but i i really like paranorman um, i've never actually watched that one. Oh, that's fun it's a that's fun movie it comes up on so many lists and every year i'm like i should probably watch it and then i don't yeah it's it's definitely I think it's definitely worth watching. Let's see what else. So what what are like some other some other films that you that you like just always have to watch during the the Halloween season? Yeah. Um. Let's see. Uh, Scream. I I mean I can watch that when it's not Halloween too, but I have to watch Scream every year. Uh. And Halloween, which I actually just watched again last night. Not the stupid David Gordon Green movies. Um, I'm so frustrated by that one and have a lot of thoughts about Halloween ends. But the so OG- mad about those movies. <laughs> I am so I just, mad. <laughs> I just find it really funny because like there, there's there's even a petition just like we were petitioning for them wow. to remake the the last foes, just like and and I've seen some people who actually really liked it. And I admit that I liked the the first of the the news trilogy. Um, I haven't seen the other two, you know, I might, I might not, whatever, but I do find it funny how mad people are about those movies. (laughs) Okay, it's true. I will say I did not, will not sign that stupid petition because like, come on, let's just have better things to do with our time um, than sign meaningless petitions that are not going to go anywhere. But um, it's it's actually kind of funny that I didn't like Halloween Ends so much because it does something that I was mad about the first of his trilogy not doing (laughs) which is like one of the things that i hated about his halloween was what he did with Lori and how she's this like prepper and isolated from society instead of you know going out make some making something of her life even with this like always feeling there was this threat and now halloween ends she's kind of moved on with her life and I'm like, okay, yeah, that's what should have happened, but it doesn't make sense that she couldn't do that for 40 years. And then after the events of Halloween Kills, suddenly as a 65-year-old woman, she's able to do this? I don't think so. <laughs> so uh, anyway, it's also the least um, about Michael Myers, which isn't necessarily the problem. And I think it did have some interesting things to say there, but... I just didn't think it did a good job of it. But anyway, the OG Halloween is a must-see. 
um, cannot complete the Halloween season, spooky movie season, without watching Halloween. Um, and uh, yeah, so those are my two big ones, Scream and Halloween. How about you? I mean, yeah, Halloween is is definitely a classic. Uh, I So two of the big ones that I always seem to rewatch this time of year are, um, first of all, Young Frankenstein, which is you know as if you have not seen young frankenstein it is on hbo max i do not know how you managed to get to this point in in the world and not see young frankenstein i mean we all have our our movie blind spots i definitely have filled a few of those recently but young <laughs> frankenstein should not be one of them it's it's so classic and like uh honestly i have you know i saw young frankenstein when i was quite young my parents rightly thought like oh she'll enjoy this um and of course i didn't get all of the jokes but i really enjoyed it i really i love that film it's one of those things that like i quote all the time um like it just it will come up every time i make ovaltine i cannot not do an impression of frau Wilker. <laughs> um just like ovaltine <laughs> i can't i can't you put the candle back all of that stuff is just but it's i i think that it's a testament to the film that it holds up as well as it does because i've seen it I cannot even fathom how many times I've seen this movie. Um, and every single time I'm like, I know the jokes are coming. I know what the gag is going to be. And I still laugh at it. Like, it's still funny. Um, and part of it is because the cast is just fantastic. I mean, I, I Mel Brooks assembled a, a really remarkable cast for that period. The only my only criticism is that Madeline Kahn isn't in the movie enough. And there there should always be more Madeline Kahn in any film. That um, is correct. Uh, but when she's there, she's just like luminous, just like she just raises the bar even more. And and which is remarkable when you look at the rest of the cast of people like Gene Wilder and Marty Feldman um, and and uh, and Terry Garr and Peter Boyle and Cloris Leachman, et cetera. They're, they're just so funny. Uh, and it is one of those films that has, you know, in some ways damaged the other Frankenstein movies for me particularly son of frankenstein which if you've never seen i do recommend you watch it it's a great like a really enjoyable film but brooks takes a lot of things from uh young frank from uh son of frankenstein and uses them in young frankenstein and it's next to impossible now for me to watch son of frankenstein without just thinking of that like the whole um inspector kemp with the wooden arm comes directly from Son of Frankenstein. There's a character in that uh, play, and I, I'm trying to, I can't remember who, who it who plays the character right now, but um, but it's the same thing. He's like got this ridiculous German accent. He's got this wooden arm um, that he keeps on, you know, moving up and down, et cetera. And it's just so fucking funny, even inside of Frankenstein. And then you watch Young Frankenstein, it's like, I can't, I can't take this seriously. Um, so, so yeah, Young Frankenstein is the, one of the major ones for me and actually my parents and I I'm, I'm at home right now and my parents and I are re-watching it I've already seen it once this this season and we're watching it again uh <laughs> and it's just yeah absolutely adore it uh nice. the the other one is Rocky Horror Picture Show uh which again has been kind of it's one of those that's just been a staple kind of in, in my family's household for a very long time the first time i saw it uh my parents cut it off about half an hour into the film um <laughs> when it starts getting really dark like and it does rocky horror is i always describe rocky horror as being like a party where you know it starts out it's like oh isn't this fun it's exciting and everything and then it starts getting weird 
And and then it gets weirder. And then by the end of it, everyone is drunk and in the swimming pool. Like it's it's that kind of um, it's that kind of film. And I, I think it definitely kind of turns down a little bit uh, in in the second act and begins begins a descent uh, somewhat. But um, but it's it's such an iconic film. It is, st again, still so much fun. The songs are still so great. Tim Curry, I firmly believe that everyone, regardless of gender or sexual identity, uh, is is attracted to Tim Curry in that movie. Like it just doesn't matter. Any any sort of emotions that you have around sexuality is is just directed at Tim Curry. Mm -hmm. uh, and possibly Meatloaf. Meatloaf is pretty hot as well. <laughs> so those those are the two major films for me that like I just absolutely one hundred percent have to rewatch them. Some of the others are like Hocus Pocus, which I love. Um, now Hocus Pocus two, which is great, and <laughs> I liked the retconning. Thank you very much. Um, and and there are a few others, but those two are like the major ones for me. Yeah, I mean, I have some others. Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein have kind of become a necessary part of my Halloween season too. Um, I, I'm trying I love, to think. I love rewatching the the Universal horror films. I think yeah. that they're they're the kind of thing because I've seen them enough. They're the kind of thing that I can put on in the background and just enjoy them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think I've seen Bride of Frankenstein. I've seen Bride of Frankenstein more in the past two years than I probably ever had before. <laughs> Yeah, they're so great. And it was so fun to get to see Frankenstein and Dracula last year on the big screen. I'm kind of sad that they didn't do that again this year. I don't know what happened, but I wish they had. I guess last year was partly because of the anniversary and stuff. But um, uh, yeah, but I yeah. So those are sorry, I just totally lost my train of thought. Wow. Um. <laughs> So those are a couple that I, I watch all the time. And then for me, it's it's uh, I have my staples and then I try to find some new ones to watch every year that I haven't uh, haven't necessarily seen before. So um, this year I finally watched The Howling. I had never seen that. Oh, I love The Howling. <laughs> it was so much fun. I that love The Howling one. with my man Patrick McNee. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. I just watched that this week and I was just like, how have I never watched this before? <laughs> that's a great one. That's that's my favorite werewolf movie of the 80s. Like, yeah. and I've, got, I've gotten into trouble saying that, by the way. I actually got, <laughs> I had numerous people block me on Twitter for saying oh that goodness. it was better than American Werewolf in London. <laughs> oh my gosh. People need to chill. I mean, nothing like, beats Teen Wolf, but <laughs> which I still haven't seen. I that's on my list. You've never seen Teen Wolf. Wow, never, it just was never. It wasn't a staple of my childhood, and yeah, like, yeah I just never got. I just never saw. Uh, I've never seen it, but it's it's on my list for this year. I did just watch Saw for the first time, <laughs> um, as I as I related a, a little bit on Twitter, which I actually quite liked. Like I was, I had been led to believe that Saw was a lot nastier then it then this is the first film and i yeah. understand that the sequels get getting worse and are meaner and are just more focused on the the torture and the torture porn aspect of it which is why i hadn't watched the original film for for quite a while um because that that was my impression of it but i actually quite liked it and um i thought it was very effective and without being too horribly gruesome or you know too indulgent in the the torture aspect yeah, I don't love the first movie. I think it's fine. But yeah, it definitely doesn't really start to get gruesome until the second one. Um, 
And then, like, I've only seen the first two, but my understanding is that they just get <laughs> progressively worse from there. So, yeah, yeah, that's that was my understanding as well. Numerous people were like, oh, you'll be fine with Saw, but don't watch any of the sequels. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. I, I'm okay yeah. with that. I don't need to do more than that. I like James Wan, anyways. Um, uh, one, one other film that has become more of a staple, uh, for me is Suspiria. The original Suspiria by Dario Argento, which I first saw when I was in college and then has kind of I, I keep on going back to it. And every time I go back to it, particularly during October, I, I'm like, oh, I just I really like this. I don't know why I really like this. I probably shouldn't, but I really like this. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And any other any final thoughts for that, Karen? Um, another one that I just always have to watch around this time of year is Psycho. I love Psycho so much. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I do not cons I I don't consider Psycho a horror film, though I I don't I wouldn't necessarily say like that there's any reason behind that. <laughs> but like 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 I'm my attitude is always like Hitchcock made one horror movie and that is uh, The Birds. Mm -hmm. Um, he did not make any all of his other films or thrillers, but yeah, Psycho would probably fit into that category. So would Frenzy um both of them like are you know psycho is so influential on slasher films but yeah i'm, I'm always like no psycho is not a horror film why not it just isn't <laughs> and i don't necessarily have an opinion on whether it's a horror movie or not but it's just one that this just always feels like the right time of year to watch it <laughs> it definitely is like and mm -hmm. it's such a unique film in a lot of ways yeah um and it, it peacock actually has all four of the of the psychos with anthony perkins so i think this weekend i might just watch them all again i've seen them all i might just do it again this weekend i've never seen any of the sequels i've actually heard really things about psycho 2 the yeah the, psycho 2 is pretty good film yeah mm -hmm. yeah um, it's just three hard. and four are not good but uh they're still just fun to watch <laughs> maybe i'll watch psycho 2 just to have like experience that see what happens to norman after after <laughs> everything it's just so weird to me to be like oh it's a, it's a sequel to a hitchcock film that wasn't directed by hitchcock it's like mm, yeah no <laughs> i will say it's not as bad as the remake of psycho <laughs> which is just psycho right it's just psycho but somehow not. worse <laughs> like it, it, when you do a shot for shot remake but somehow make it seem terrible <laughs> A, I don't know uh, what happened there. A good uh, uh one of one of my one of my very good friends uh from grad school actually like I I'm not certain whether he wrote the essay but he had a theory that was like this entire theory about about Gus Van Sant's remake of Psycho as being a mirror image of the original and and he he like it was very it was a very complicated theory but like every single shot is not actually a repeated shot but a mirror image shot of hmm. the original film and again it was one of those just like that's really interesting but why like what what is what when it comes down to it why did why why are we why yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> um and the thing was he it was an interesting theory but at the same time i don't think trey i'm sorry if you're listening like please explain it to me again um uh i don't think he ever was i actually came to a conclusion as to why <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's funny so anything else before we close things out not really just watch more movies watch more movies most of the movies that we are talking about as our favorites are actually available on various streaming services i know rocky horror is on hulu 
Um, Young Frankenstein is on HBO Max. Uh, Halloween is on Shutter. It's on Shutter slash AMC Plus. It's also um, on TV a lot. Scream. I'm not sure where that's at right now. It was on HBO Max. Scream. Scream and the Scream movies have been moving around. I I know that they were on Paramount at one point. It, they might still be on Paramount. I know that, and I know that a few of them are also on Tubi. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I'll, always check out Tubi. Tubi has the weirdest collection of horror movies it does it really does but it's it's uh it's fascinating (laughs) to see what they have and uh yeah and just scrolling through tubi you can find some gems too i also want to put in just a quick plug for kino cult i haven't watched anything on Mm -hmm. there recently but um but they have some uh they have just quite an interesting collection of hard to find movies and that's a free app like a free service so you can just you can just watch stuff on there. That was Sorry. all I wanted to say. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, all right. Well, I think that that is going to close us out for this week. And as always, thank you all so much for listening to us. Um, we are going to be back next week and we will be talking about Guillermo del Toro because, uh, and in order to prep for that, his cabinet of curiosity series is coming out. Um, October 25th, I believe, is when it starts. It's a four-night event, yes, and it starts October 25th. And so we're really excited to talk about that. I'm really excited to talk about mm-hmm. it. Um, there's all kinds of exciting shit that's going to be on there, not just by Del Toro himself, but also by a whole bunch of really great directors and writers. Um, so I am looking forward to that a great deal. But we're also going to talk about some of his other other horror films because I don't think that, there, uh, that there's a, a, a contemporary director, like a more contemporary director who's done more for kind of horror um, than Del Toro right now. Like he really yeah. has been kind of building that up. So we're going to talk about that next week. Yeah. Um, and Cabinet of Curiosities is basically, it's eight one hour episodes sort of. So it's like eight short movies. Um, two per night over the course of four nights so yeah I'm all excited. by all by different directors there's some like all lovecraft, by different directors yeah. there's some lovecraft mm-hmm. adaptations which i'm really looking forward to uh yeah it's it's gonna be good um so thank you so much for listening and we will be having a bonus episode coming out before long we're gonna be doing uh, adam's family values i believe yay and uh i'm i'm looking forward to that too <laughs> So that the full episode will be available to our patrons uh, who include Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Mason, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Pow, and Will. Again, thank you so much for continuing to support us. Um, we will try to have more fun stuff coming up really soon. And if you want to join our Patreon, that's patreon.com slash citizen dame, and you will get all of our bonus episodes and other fun things uh if if you do that you also get episodes early uh and get to listen to us and consider all the many the many brilliances uh that we talk about you can we also have a ko-fi that's ko-fi.com slash citizen dame and of course we have our website citizendamepod.com where uh karen's various reviews are going to be going up and i've got a few more reviews coming up so definitely check that out we try to keep that updated and have some really interesting stuff to talk about there 
You can also email us if you want to get in touch with us, citizendamepod at gmail.com. And we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. We are on Twitter and Instagram at citizendamepod, and our Letterbox is at citizendame, where we have various lists, including um, less scary movies, if you're not into gore and like really bad shit happening, um, but that are still spooky for the spooky season. Um, you can, of course, get in touch with us individually. I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at LH Business. Karen, where are you? I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson. And that will close us out for this week. We'll talk to y'all later. Bye. Would the doctor care for a brandy before retiring? No. Thank you. Some warm milk? Perhaps. No, thank you very much. No thanks. Ovaltine. Nothing. Thank you. I'm a little tired.